churches have a really, really powerful platform that not all of them are using. And I think talking about those things from the pulpit and from the front, you'll, you're amazed at who comes out of the woodwork. So we'll talk about this, I know, later. But with Rock Recovery, we run this program now, New ID and a couple others. And we've run it at churches where like 35 women came, 30 of whom had never sought help before. But because their church mentioned it and they felt safe at their church, they were like, oh, I'll go to this thing. I mean, some of them have struggled for decades, like for decades. And so and it's a huge opportunity. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howen. On the show today, we're going to be talking about eating disorders, and I am so excited to introduce you to Christy Dondero Betway from Rock Recovery. And if I had to label my relationship with food, I would say that it's complicated. I'm a typical Gen Xer who grew up in the culture that slimed us with ideas and opinions of what a body should look like and what healthy eating is. I've lived through the days of these crazy fad diets, including the low-fat diet, which was pretty much all sugar, the cabbage soup diet. Ugh. And does anyone else remember the Slim Fast diet? All of these, all of these were in my house as my mom pursued weight loss. Things like Jenny Craig, Weight Watchers, and those awkward exercise VHS tapes that would come in the mail all subtly influenced my body image. And I didn't realize how impacted I was until about four years ago when I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disorder that dramatically impacted my weight. Up until my 30s, I was naturally thin. I could eat anything and get away with it, and it bugged so many people. But with age and a diagnosis of celiac disease, in the course of about nine months, I gained over 20 pounds, almost 30, I think. Dietitians assured me that my body was healthier because I was no longer malnutrition because of celiac disease, and I was now absorbing nutrients that my body desperately needed. But the body image issues that I thought I was immune to came back in a flood. I was now considered overweight and I felt out of control as I was healing from this disease means I was gaining weight. At 37, I came face to face with all the negative thoughts about my body that most people faced as a teenager. And oh my goodness, it was so, so hard. I had to continually remind myself that my body is not bad. I I was created by God. My body is beautiful. But those misguided messages from growing up in the 90s and not to mention those teachings that I heard in church like the flesh is not good or the body needs to be put into submission and that my body is just a vessel that we are spirit beings messed me up as I navigated the massive changes in my body and eating habits. God created food to be delicious and as fuel, food cannot be good or bad. Our bodies are designed in such a way that they signal us when we need rest or support or comfort. They allow us to express worship, love, and joy. Our bodies are not something to be hated or at most tolerated. 
God created us, spirit, soul, and body. It is fearfully and wonderfully made. But this is hard to live out when what we see in the mirror doesn't look like the cultural labels of beautiful. This is Eating Disorders Awareness Week, and I know many of you have faced or are facing similar challenges with body image and food. The messages of our culture in and out of the church have perpetuated an unhealthy and distorted view of food and of our bodies. I invited Christy from Rock Recovery to share her story as well as how they support churches and individuals. Christy grew up in Pennsylvania, then moved to Texas as a preteen with her parents and her sister. Her family was Catholic, and while that provided a foundation of God, that God is real and and that Jesus is God's son, as a student, she remembers more the messages of fear and shame rather than hope and love. After meeting a cute boy in a bar who invited her to church, Christy was shocked by meeting Christians who were friendly, fun, and open about their struggles. The people were so different to what she thought Christians were like. At this point, Christy had been struggling with an eating disorder for quite a while, and it just so happened that on that very first Sunday that she went, they announced a group to support those who struggle with body image and food. I had really been struggling with an eating disorder for a long time, but didn't necessarily put words to it. And so the first time I went to this church, a lovely British woman named Kim Hemsley, who runs a program named New ID, got up and made an announcement saying, I'm starting this six-week group for people who struggle with you know, food and body image and eating disorders, complete freedom as possible, like talk to me after church. And I remember hearing her talk wow. and I was really struggling yeah, with anxiety, with my eating disorder, with lots of different things. And I was like, I don't think complete freedom is possible, but eh, six weeks, like, sure, I'll go. If I can get better in six weeks, what could go wrong? And obviously, one cannot get better in six weeks. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, sort of got tricked into that too. I say God tricked me twice, once with the cute guy at the bar and then <laughs> once with me thinking I had this super efficient like, so, like problem-solving thing for my life. And so that was really kind of what kept me there was that program has totally transformed me and changed my life. I love that. And that was announced from a Sunday morning. Yeah. Just happened to go. I love you know, that. The first day that they were announcing it, I started the next week, you know, all of God's providence <laughs> at play for sure. Yeah. That is cool because so often those small groups, those support groups or those uh, mental health groups or, or you know, Celebrate Recovery or Grief Share, yeah. all of those groups are relegated to the back corner or a pamphlet or, you know, a bulletin announcement or on the website. Yes. And But when it was announced from the stage on a Sunday morning, given space right. and saying, this is a safe place, come right. find support here. That's what I love that. And that there's, is when there's a, there's a message in there. There is. And that for me, I mean, again, talk about, I'm, I was literally the poster child for the program for a long time. Cause you know, I came through it. I wasn't even a person of faith necessarily at myself. I think, you know, God was working, but I wasn't necessarily like checking the boxes yet or anything, but as I, it was just sort of like, oh, wow, I'm allowed to have flaws here and I don't need to be ashamed of them. And that is, as you know, the power of these groups and different pieces when you come together in a thing that can be pretty isolating and feels shameful and other people are like, oh yeah, no, me too. Like I struggle too. And it's not just you. It just, gosh, it was so healing and so powerful and just so encouraging. Mm. And I think churches have a really, really 
powerful platform that not all of them are using. And I think talking about those mm-hmm. things from the pulpit and from the front, you'll, you're amazed at who comes out of the woodwork. So we'll talk about this, I know, later. But with Rock Recovery, we run this program now, New ID and a couple others. And we've run it at churches where like 35 women came, 30 of whom had never sought help before. But because their church wow. mentioned it and they felt safe at their church, they were like, oh, I'll go to this thing. I mean, some of them have struggled for decades, like for decades. And so, and it's a huge opportunity. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. We'll definitely, we'll get there. Yes. But I want to hear a little bit how you came to be running Rock Recovery and leading that organization. So there's a big gap there between <sighs> living for, you know, your, you know, making the decision to live for God and recognizing that there's support out there to now leading the organization. It's a pretty cool story. So yeah. can you kind of do like a little bit of a recap of what that journey was like? Sure. I'll try to give you the Cliffs Notes version. So yeah, I mean, for <laughs> me, so I struggled with an eating disorder from age 13 to 23 I would say this new ID program that I went through at that church was a huge catalyst for me in my recovery. And it's both, I think it's really a blessing that I came to faith and recovered at the same time. And it has its various challenges. I think whenever I share my story, you know, a lot of it is life got a lot better once I met the Lord and got a lot better once I went through recovery. And sometimes it's all jumbled Mm -hmm. together and it's hard to differentiate what's what. I mean, it was all by God's grace, so I don't feel the need to parse it out too much. But I think a lot of people can feel really guilty if they are struggling with something. They've been Christians their whole life. And I'm like, no, my story is just different. Like it wasn't like this before and after life is still hard. Things are still complicated. But I I always like to talk about that because yes, my life totally transformed and changed. And yet like I'm still human and have my flaws and things that I'm working on and, you know, need God's grace every day. But as I went through recovery and sort of probably about a two year time period where I sought outpatient treatment, worked with a therapist got better and then was really starting to feel led to do something to help other people. I had a lot of privilege. My parents put money into my account every week and paid for my treatment, which was lovely. They were very supportive and they could do that. But a couple of years into my treatment, I ran into a woman that I had done that new ID course with a couple of years earlier. And she was just where she was when we started that program two years earlier. And I mean, my life had totally transformed. Like, I had joy again. I was healthy again. I mean, I just had kind of come back to life and it really shook me that, you know, we met at the same place and she was just where she was and hadn't made any progress. And the big difference was she couldn't afford treatment and she didn't have someone who could help Mm -hmm. pay for it for her. And so that's how I kind of felt like a nudge to look into like, well, what exists for people who need affordable treatment and help with eating disorders. And turns out not a lot, (laughs) very, very few things. But um, I found Rock Recovery. It had just been founded a couple months earlier by our amazing founder, Carrie Larson. And I was coming up to DC from North Carolina for a wedding. And I just emailed her out of the blue. I was like, hey, do you want to meet? Like, I'm really curious about what you're doing. And met her at a Panera and just, we were holding hands and praying within about like 37 (laughs) seconds. And I just like fell in love (laughs) with her and this mission that she has and um, decided I want to be a part of it. So Shortly after that, a stranger prayed for me after church in Charlotte and like prophesied over me and said, you know, I I feel like God's telling you, you're going to bring freedom from freedom to the captives and like bring people out of prison in a place where you've been recently held captive. Does that mean anything to you? And I'm just like sobbing. I'm like, yeah, it does. (laughs) So I wound up um, moving up here to DC, volunteering with Rock Recovery for a couple of years, then raised my own salary to come on staff back in 2013. And it's my 10 year anniversary on staff as of this April. 
Wow. Yeah. That was the cold notes. Oh my gosh. There so, there's so many things so in there that more. I want to pick up on. I know. There's so much more in there. We'll have to um, hang out. But I tried we will so get hard there. to give, give you the highlights, but yeah, it could take days, but yes, that is. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about rock recovery then. Yeah. Thank you. My favorite thing to talk about other than my daughter. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and Jesus, but I always joke, I pity the person on a plane who asked what I do for a living. Cause I'm like, Oh, well, <laughs> great news. We got time. Um, so rock recovery is wonderful. And I always joke, you know, I didn't birth it. I adopted it. And so I feel like, well, I am of course biased. I've been here for over 10 years on staff. I do just love this organization. So we're super unique. Um, we are a faith-based organization and our doors are also really open wide to serving the whole community. So we have a lot of people coming to us who aren't necessarily people of faith themselves, but our main goal is to bridge gaps that keep people from getting the help they need and deserve and that keeps them held in captivity and keeps them from being free. So we offer a lot of sliding scale programs, both therapy groups and individual services for teens and adults. And then we offer faith-based support groups like the new ID group that I mentioned um, that we run virtually and in person that are available kind of worldwide wide really to anywhere and anyone that helps people integrate their faith in a beautiful healing way. Cause as you know, it's tough to bring in faith and mental health sometimes. So yeah. that's one of our big passions. Yes. That's so exciting. So can I just, you said that really quickly. I, I just know, want to I'm recap sorry. that. Yes, please. So you provide, it's all good. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm absorbing yeah. all of that information. So you are a physical center that provides treatment on a sliding scale that you do regional um, groups, as well as you have an online portion where you provide groups in a virtual setting. Is that correct? It is 92% correct. Yes. We also do our therapy groups. We also have online programs that are available to people in Virginia, DC, and Maryland across the whole state for our therapy groups and services. So COVID and that's help because the, your staff, yeah. yes. And that's because your li- your counselors are licensed in mm-hmm. those three states. Fantastic. As okay. there's reciprocity, that might change. You know, I think there is some hope that yes. there'll be some of that coming down the pike. But yeah, for now, that's where we're able to serve people. Yeah. And for people who don't know what reciprocity, oh, I can't even say that word. Reciprocity. reciprocity. I know. It's a, it's a fancy one to make it is spell a, it. it is yeah. A, <laughs> it's a marble word. Marble's in your mouth. It's it's allowing people to um, extend and offer clinical support outside of their um, state. Mm-hmm. And it's an agreement between the states that they're recognizing the licensure of their professional um, health professionals. So that's what that is. Just for people who are like, what? was that? But for now, it's in D.C., Virginia, and North Carolina. Is that correct? Um, We want to be in North Carolina next, so that is you just prophesying over us. But D.C., Virginia, and Maryland. But North Carolina is next, so I don't think I've ever told you that. So look at you. Look at the spirit working through you, telling us where we're going to go next. (laughs) The the next goal is North Carolina. But we're raising funds and figuring that out right now. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. Okay. So for people who are listening and are thinking, oh my goodness, this is just a physical treatment center. I don't have access to this. I can't afford this. That's not true. You That's do have right. virtual opens for people. We do, That's which really is exciting. really the blessing of you know COVID was that we moved everything virtually really overnight. And now we're a hybrid for sure. We do a lot of things in person, a lot of things virtually. It is really beautiful to be you know here around our table eating a meal together with our clients. And if we're all spread out in different areas that might, we're very unique in what we offer. A lot of places don't actually hardly anyone does what we do. So it's hard to find support like this. And so we love that we can reach people pretty much anywhere, depending on the service Mm -hmm. with the virtual work. Mm -hmm. 
Now, I want to get into some of like the biblical perspective and talking about eating disorders from that. Yeah. But first, I want to just solidify and land on what it is that you offer. So if someone is saying, okay, if someone's listening and saying, I have someone in my church who is struggling yeah. and they are within those states, how can they connect? So our website's the best place to probably start, which is rockrecoveryed.org. We're also on social and, media. And we'll link that. Yeah. And we'll link put all those social media links, your website links in the show notes Great. for sure. Yeah. And the first step for someone interested in our clinical programs is filling out an online quick form and doing a 20 minute, 30 minute assessment, which is free with one of our therapists. So that's for our therapy groups, which we do body image therapy, meal support therapy, and individual therapy. Okay. And then for those who are saying... Oh, go ahead. No, no. What were you going to say? I was going to say, and then for our face support programs that are available anywhere, they're basically all on our okay. website and you can sort of just sign up without any screening because that's more just support, not, not true yep. treatment. So that's a little bit less screening required because our treatment programs are meant for people who are medically stable and just need outpatient care. And some people might need a bit more than we offer. So we like to always screen and make sure we're, what, we're the right fit for somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then you said your face support um, mm-hmm. is in person and online? And online. Yes. So it's something that we try to offer with churches nationwide. We can train people. We've got manuals and um, offer that. And then our people run it here in the DC metro area in person and then virtually as well. Okay. So I get it. So it's not like people zoom into your group. You do a train the trainer so that churches or local communities run the group. It's both. We also, oh all, I know I'm so this. complicated. <laughs> See, I told you cliff notes are hard, but yes. Yeah, so our, we always have something running virtually that people do zoom into. We have a weekly devotional group on Thursday mornings called set free. And then I run our new ID course virtually quarterly. And then we have other groups called lasting freedom that focus on things like body image, intuitive eating, and then holiday support. So we run those six week mm-hmm. groups three times a year. So lots going yeah. on all the time. Thanks to the Holy Spirit and the internet and Zoom. So there are lots (laughs) of options and it's been great. I mean, we've had people across the nation and, you know, missionaries in different countries who have nothing where they are able to access this, which has just been so cool. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. So this doesn't depend on if you're rural or low income or anything like that. You have access to faith-based support um, through Rock Recovery. That's That's really exciting. Yes. Thanks to our generous donors and all the people that help make it possible. Yeah. That's sliding scale is definitely such a gift to the majority of our clients are on a pretty significant sliding scale. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Okay. So now that that, you know, kind of the housekeeping of where people can access (laughs) you, I want to dive into um, this idea of of body image, intuitive eating, eating disorders, uh, because people often ask, okay, where does it talk about this in the Bible? How do we support people? How do we connect and offer an encouragement to people who are struggling with this? Because they're just not quite sure. Are you able to give us like a mini sermon or, or idea of what, you know, the biblical approach or what you feel the Bible talk, how the Bible talks about eating disorders. Absolutely. And that's, you know, I think the Bible does talk about our bodies and I think a lot of us feel various shame around our bodies, but you know, Jesus took on a body. So just the incarnation itself shows us that there is a lot of dignity to living in our bodies. There's a lot of times I think where we think we accidentally get into the dualism of like, oh, bodies are all bad or bodies are all this. Right. And like, that's so how true. we live Putting our lives. Down, yeah. yeah. Let's submit, like, 
um, press down the flesh. Yes. It's always the flesh has been negative, and really, it's not. Yeah, there's there's goodness. Like it's thinking about you know eating and drinking and all the things that Jesus did. It's like there's also joy in breaking bread with people, and there's something really mm-hmm. beautiful about that. So, I think we've occasionally missed that message. And I think there's something we talk a lot here at Rock Recovery called diet culture, which is basically mm-hmm. the belief that thin is better and all these things, which are just not true, but it's kind of the culture. And a scripture we talk a lot about is, you know, Romans don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think all of us have been pretty shaped by the diet culture message, which is not mm-hmm. a biblical one. God does not honor or desire smaller bodies over larger ones, right? Like that is not true. And I think there's Mm -hmm. a lot of misguided teachings even about gluttony and things for people who might be struggling with binge eating that is not the same thing as gluttony. So I think that we could talk for talk for a long time about this, but yeah, there's a lot of really I'm just like, oh, I want to talk more about that. I want to talk more about that. And and when we're recording, it is January when we're recording. And right Mm. now, I don't know about you or anybody else, you probably muted it all because you're like sick of seeing it. But the intensity of diet and new year, new you and fitness Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of these things, it is, there is a high pressure to, like you said, conform to that standard of the world. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty intense. <laughs> it was, it's really intense and it's easy to slip into, you know, even as, even as Christians, it's like, again, I think it, it sneaks in. I know it just sneaks into the culture and we don't realize we're necessarily doing it. Cause of course we want to be healthy. We want to run the race. Well, we want to care for our bodies. We want to do all the things, but restricting food actually probably isn't helping that, right? Like it probably isn't actually mm. caring for our well-being. Being balanced and moderate and mindful and caring for our bodies, yeah, of course, but not in the way the culture tells us we should or need to, which is really, I mean, people get real mad at me when I say this sometimes at trainings because it's been so hammered into us for so long. It feels it feels really scary to say there's a different way to live mm. sometimes, you know? Mm. Mm. So as a local church, what is something, what what language or what is something that they could do to support healthy approaches to eating and healthy approaches to body image? Yeah. Um, I think one of the things is by not doing things. So I've seen some churches do <laughs> weight that. loss like community things. And I we are just very anti-weight loss. For lots of reasons, one of which is because weight loss often doesn't work, right? And often isn't Mm -hmm. the solution to the problems and often isn't sustainable, then leaves people feeling ashamed and like they're the problem. For a lot of, there's this really Mm -hmm. interesting, and I won't go into the neurobiology too, too much, but there's a really interesting amount of research showing in our field that restriction actually causes binging and for people to feel out of control around food. So, so often we're like, oh, I have no willpower. What's wrong with me? It's like, no, it's not us. Like, it's the fact that we're restricting things and our body is trying to help us out because God created us to be fueled and fed well. And so there are just lots of, I think, weight loss, talking about bodies, you know, encouraging weight loss, I think is a big no-no. It is just, it is never helpful. And I think pretty much always harmful to people. Mm, It is never helpful to talk about weight loss. Yeah, especially... Let's just, let's just pause on that. Yeah. Like using it as analogies, um, self-deprecating jokes yes. from the pastor. Oh, all of those things. You hear in the settled conversations and the subtleties of, of stories and things. 
And, you know, when people hear that, depending on what their body size or shape might be, there could be comparison, there could be more judgment and shame, right? I've done that. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, you're a human. Weird, I've done that where, yeah. yeah, Like when a friend's like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to lose weight. And I'm looking at that, I'm like, I am at least 20 to 30 pounds heavier than they. They must think I need to lose weight. Like you do those comparisons. So by, you know, oh, it's so good. Such a good reminder. And we were all created to be a different weight. You know, we're not trying, at least here, we're not trying to change our shoe size. And we really do believe there is when you're when you're nourishing yourself well, when you're moving well, when you're taking care of your body, your body will pretty much regulate within a certain range. And that might be vastly different than the person next to you. And that's okay. God created us really uniquely and diversely and beautifully. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, right? And there's real intention in how we were created. And and that's good. I love that. I love that. Okay. What's something else though? As a local church, those who are listening, okay, how can I support those? If I have a young person or um, uh, uh, an individual, an adult who is, who, you know, has struggles or is struggling with this, how could I support them? Yeah. I think knowing your limits. So knowing when to refer out as well, getting a good referral Mm. list for therapists who are actually specialized to treat eating disorders. One thing I feel very protective of our clients and of people who seek help for this because not all therapists are trained in helping those with eating disorders. And it's really important to find someone who is. So knowing who to refer to and how to refer out, I think there's a lot of pressure on the church to kind of be all the things to all the people. And like Mm -hmm. the church just can't, the church is wonderful. I'm married to a pastor. I love the church, but like you can't do all the things. So it's good to know who to refer to and how to refer out and just being willing to have the hard conversations. And I love the phrase, you know, mental illness is not a casserole disease, right? Like when someone has cancer or has a baby or has a surgery, everyone shows up with a meal train. And if your kid's struggling with anorexia and you're trying to do family-based treatment and refeed them and do all this stuff, like it's often crickets. People don't know what to say or do. So be willing mm-hmm. to have the hard conversations and ask how to support people and ask what they need and just caring for the families and the children who are struggling and the adults. I will say the majority of our clients mm-hmm. are ages 35 to 50. So people mm-hmm. struggle later in life. And I mean, we've got clients well into their 70s. So this is something that affects people of all ages and backgrounds. Unfortunately, it's not just the teenage years, but just having the hard conversations, offering support, referring out. A lot of churches provide um, scholarships for people if they can't afford treatment, if they can't afford therapy. That's been a beautiful thing we've seen people do Um, because there are a lot of barriers that people encounter when trying to get the treatment that they really, they really need to flourish again. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the amount of people who you think is struggling in your community, in a, in a random community? Because I can, yeah. I can, I can imagine people listening and even myself, I'm sitting here in my church and in, in our, in the studio here that they have thinking, I don't know if I know of anyone in our church, um, but they probably yeah. are people. Uh, and that's the thing. My very unofficial research of talking to strangers on planes is, I, I mean, I can't <laughs> think of hardly a person who hasn't been like, oh, me too, or my sister or my brother or my son or my mom or whatever. Like it's, people aren't talking about it. People aren't self-disclosing it and leading with that. So I would guarantee you, you do know a lot of people struggling who either might kind of have some ambivalence about their own struggle and might not co- totally be calling it what it is, or people who know someone who's struggling who aren't talking about it with you. So the statistic mm-hmm. that we tend to kind of think is the most 
I don't know, evidence-based, is 28 million Americans. So about one in 10 Americans have an eating disorder at some Mm. point in their life. But then disordered eating and body image struggles, gosh, I would say half of people. I'd say 50%. My own unofficial research. Okay, can we break that down? What's (laughs) the difference between eating disorder, disordered eating, and body image? Oh, great question. So great question. So an eating disorder, you know, you think of the actual clinically diagnosable. It's in the Diagnostic Statistic Manual for Mental Health Disorders, the DSM. Talk (laughs) about mouthfuls. So that is anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, and then... Um, a couple other ones. There's one called um, OSFED, which is Otherwise Specified Feeding and Eating Disorder. We love our acronyms. And then one called ARFID, mm-hmm. which is Avoidant Re- Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. So there are some that there's clinically diagnostic criteria you you fit. Like, you know, you restrict this, you do this, you have these patterns. And if you don't fit all the standards, you're often not given the diagnosis. But the idea, we like the term disordered because one, it's a little less scary. It's a little bit less intimidating Mm -hmm. and it captures more. It's really easy to be like, well, I'm not that bad. Or like, oh, they're worse than me or they're doing more than me. Like, surely I don't have a problem. But if there's any amount of restriction, binging, compensatory behavior, unhealth around food, and it's hurting your quality of life, your relationships, your faith. I mean, I think any amount of disordered behavior is something we can seek greater freedom from. Like Christ has come to set mm-hmm. us free. We don't need to live in this cap- captivity. So um, the idea of disordered behavior is often normalized, but is still problematic and hurting our health and well-being. Mm. So any behavior that is restrictive or compulsory, okay? Yeah. And then image, Like a diet, for example. I'm going to be down on diets for a minute. Dieting is disordered. People might not like that. I know, I know, but it's true. I know, don't get mad at me. People get so mad at me, but, you know, and not all brains, are, not all people are going to develop eating disorders who go on diets. Some people are more predisposed than others. There is a genetic component to this, but um, again, I would say it's more often than not damaging. So if you are intentionally restricting or intentionally like making a choice about what you can or cannot eat, that would be considered disordered eating. It would be definitely on the fringe, um, but I on would certainly, yeah, it would certainly be the starting point, yes, of disordered eating. For and, sure. and viewing it in a negative, not like, ooh, I had, you know, three Oreos. I'm going to stop at that. Even though I'd love to eat the whole bag, I'm just going right. to stop at that. That would be like, that's yeah. different. That's That's just self control. But you're talking about like, Oreos are bad. I cannot eat those. I'm going to restrict it. Yeah. Like there's I mean, a different mindset there. A little bit of both though. I, I would, this is where I become unpopular, Laura, but I would challenge you in the like <laughs> okay. three. I want to be challenged. I? Oh, I'm like, we're still going to be friends. Yes. On the three Oreo, like I want to eat the whole box thing. If people are actually finding freedom around food, you won't want to eat the whole box. It is wild. Okay. It is so like, counterintuitive. I mean, and I struggled for years and I never would have believed that I, 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 ha- I felt like I had to be like militant and restrictive and mm-hmm. like count the things and control the things and not keep this in my house and not do that. And like, now I keep everything in my house and occasionally I have to throw it out because it goes bad or, and I, and I just forgot about it. Cause it's like, Oh, it was great when I had it, but I never thought about it again. Cause food had lost its power on me because I allowed myself to eat it when I wanted it. And we, um, I'm not sure, not sure if you've heard of intuitive eating. That's sort of the yes, approach. I have, take. but I would I want to I want to hear more about. Like yes. I think it's new, so I love this. It's yeah, great. But the idea there's ten principles. Intuitive eating is basically like getting back to our natural hunger, fullness cues, and listening to 
our God-given cues versus like trying to control them, feeling guilt or shame, putting rules on things. To your point, feeling bad, like no food is bad or good. Like they're, you know, French fries have potassium in them, right? People might say, oh, it's bad or whatever. And of course, if you have a food allergy, like a true food allergy or a true medical condition, there are occasionally times that restriction needs to be a part of it, which is totally fair. Um, And sometimes people are thinking they have allergies when they actually have maybe hurt their gut with restriction over the years. So it's complex and something to work with a dietitian on for sure. Um, but yeah, there of course are a good time. Like if people have celiac disease, mm. they should not eat gluten. That would be bad. Don't do it. Yes. Like no one wants that for you or anyone <laughs> around you. Right. That's like, it's like very yeah. sad. So yeah. But, um, <laughs> so of course I'm not saying never restrict things, never, like there are good reasons, mm-hmm. but if you're restricting mm-hmm. it because you think it's bad or good, or you're trying to lose weight, that is where it gets problematic. Okay. So we've talked about how to, what resources you have at Rock Recovery. We talked about what are some things to avoid in church that would maybe perpetuate this um, concept of disordered eating or a negative view of food and, and, and not be not helpful for people. Can we just change it now to ourselves as helpers? Yes. Yeah, because so many, because I'm a helper, you're a helper, so many people listening are helpers. And I find that um, food for us, there's, it's, it's complex because in our busyness, in the chaos of our lives of helping, we often, and we talk, I talk about this in compassion fatigue trainings and mm-hmm. burnout trainings. We, we don't fuel ourselves or find the rest we need and it, and it is a negative impact on us. And this happens a lot. And I am like raising my hand the highest here saying, I often miss lunches and I often struggle with food because I'm so busy helping yeah. other people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so it kind of messes up your, like you said, the hunger versus binging and the, and I'm, I'm genuinely hungry at night, but you can't eat at night because, because I didn't eat appropriate amounts of food during the day. Cause I'm running mm. here, there and everywhere. And I think we're all trying to figure out that balance. Okay. How can I tend to my own basic needs of rest, eating, and, you know, hygiene and things like that while being a primary caregiver for our families or for our loved ones or within our workplaces. And it can be really complicated and difficult. Oh, it's such a hard question. And I feel like such a hypocrite sometimes when I talk about this. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm raising my I hand know. here today. Well, at least we're both like <laughs> confessing and repenting together. That's good. That's good. Um, Yeah. You know, the whole, you know, corny, like oxygen mask principle, though, on the airplane, right? If you don't put yours on first, you can't help other people. And it's true. And why we stop, like why we don't do it, I don't know. Other than, I mean, a lot of it, I think, is a great heart of desire to serve. And for me, a lot of it is a great desire to get things done and like be good Mm -hmm. at stuff. So that's like the other like shadow, not great side of the the desire to serve and help people. Um, So I think, yeah, but we are no good to others if we're not taking care of ourselves. And I've even noticed this in my team here at Recovery and in in ourselves. I'm like, gosh, we ran hard for a long time because, you know, we're so unique. We've had a waiting list. There's just so much to do. And I'm like, we've got to stop for a minute or else we're all going to fall apart and be no good to anybody else. So I've been kind of Mm -hmm. thinking through what that means. And I love that you mentioned rest because I think, yes, food, staying hydrated, all those things matter. So does rest. So does our emotional connections. Really, honestly, one of the worst things we do is probably isolate ourselves. Um, that's really one of the more damaging things for our health, that and not sleeping than anything else. Um, 
those things can make a huge, huge difference for our health and mm-hmm. our well-being. So just remembering like we're humans too. And I don't know about you, but I feel like remembering that I'm not God, like turns out I can't do it all. Weird, oh, huh? I know. Yeah. That 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 amazing <laughs> realization is, oh wait, I have limitations. Okay, what? I'm a human. Yeah. Okay, that. <laughs> Yeah. And what I've been really focusing on lately is stewarding. How can I steward what God has given? And and that's our bodies as well, right? Like, uh, how can I rest? How can I fuel? How can I hydrate? How can I connect? How can I, you know, sleep? Because I have to steward the body that God gave me and I have to steward the time that I have. And, and, and as well as the gifts and the finances, and we, when we think of stewardship, we think of finances, but this year, that's kind of what I'm focused on stewarding what God has given. And that's my help as well. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I'm tearing up. (laughs) Yeah, it's true though. And you matter too, right? Like God loves you, not just the people you're serving and that feels weird sometimes to accept care and to accept people caring for you in addition to you going to care for others. But yeah, you know, we're human and it's okay to receive and to give. Yeah. I just want to make sure people hear that, that this, this conversation about eating disorders isn't just the clinical or the, Mm -hmm. the, um, the very edge of what we think of as anxiety or bulimia, but this is, it encompasses so many different things and, and, and helping others, but it also yeah. includes our own well-being as yeah. well and how we have our relationship with food and, 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 and doing that and doing this work. And how yeah. we feel about ourselves. Can I tell you a random story that just came to mind? Sure. Okay, great. It's about <laughs> body it. image. Okay, great. I'm like, I, this one always comes up for me. But um, I think this this happened, I mean, many years ago. I was about two years into my recovery process. But this was a very, like, aha, lights on moment for me where, you know, my therapist had been saying, you know, body image is about basically how you feel about yourself, not about how you look. And I think that was really hard for me to believe because for so long I felt like I had to look a certain way. So often we feel like we have to do these things to please people, whether it be about our bodies or about what we're doing or other things, right? We often feel like we need to please people and kind of check these boxes. But I I had um, not looked at mirrors for a while when I was going through treatment because I just felt a little really critical. But I remember one morning I was going into work, I was working for Habitat for Humanity, the best place. And I like looked in the mirror before I left and I was like, I look good today. Like I was like, I feel confident, mm. like like my outfit, hair looking good, extra blonde. Like, you know, I felt really good about myself. <laughs> and I got in the car, drove to work, got my little cubicle, opened my email and I had was doing fundraising, which is like the worst for someone who hates rejection like me. I'm like, why do I keep doing fundraising? This is the hardest job. (laughs) But I'd opened my email and I got a rejection for a grant that I had written. Mm. And I like didn't want to cry at my cubicle. So I went in the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I thought to myself, I look hideous. Like, why did I ever wear this? Like, what is wrong with me? I'm disgusting. And like, it had literally been 17 minutes. Like nothing had happened between those two things, except I felt I felt disappointed. I felt like a failure. I felt not good enough. Like I had all these feelings that I wasn't naming. And so instead of actually sitting with them, feeling with them, taking them to God, praying, you know, I I just turned on myself and I started to beat myself up and be like, you should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. Like I just, I got really mean and really like task mastery. And it was just such a pivotal moment for me. I was like, whoa, like this is what, this is what it is. It's how I feel about myself, not about like this external thing. And I think that's true across all of our lives. Like if we really do know we're loved, like know who and whose we are, we operate differently and it's easy to fall Mm -hmm. out of that. But that for me was a really like game changing moment of like, who am I living for? And like, where am I actually finding my worth and my identity? And 
Oh man. Yeah. That was a really pivotal moment for me. Mm, I love that. So good. So good. So when you think back up to the beginning of when you found Jesus, you were in your recovery, exploring that time of your life. Okay, God, where are you taking this? Where are you taking me? Mm-hmm. If you could now send yourself a letter or a voicemail to what you know now, back to your younger self, what mm-hmm. would you tell yourself? Well, now you're going to make me tear up, Laura. Yeah, I feel <laughs> like, gosh, I mean, I think, I mean, this, I think just like, that God is who he says he is like that this, you know, that God really is faithful and I don't know, like that you're going to be okay, that there is a plan for you that, yeah, that there's so much more. I mean, in so many ways, when I look back on the last, you know, 15 years, really since my recovery and since kind of coming on the scene with rock recovery, I wanted to grow faster. I wanted to do things differently. I felt like kind of oh, I should be better at this. Why is this so hard? Blah, blah, blah. But I look back and I'm like, no, God really was faithful. And God really does. Yeah. God knows what he's doing apparently. And maybe I don't. So I think just kind of remembering to take things one step at a time, one day at a time and have some grace for myself would have been really helpful. Um, yeah. And just that it's worth it. That's one thing I'll say as I, as I look back, I think, you know, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And for me, how I always articulated that before I knew scripture was like, my worst day with God was better than my best day without him, you know, like, and that is just true. So I think just kind of staying true to that and remembering that because that, yeah, that was really, really kind of what came to mind for me. I love it. Thank you so much, Christy, for joining us. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, being vulnerable. And thank you for following God's call and being willing to take risks, being willing to be vulnerable and to step out in the scary places Mm -hmm. and create something that so many people can benefit from. So thank you very much. Thank you. It's a joy to be with you today. Hey, thanks for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard into action. Consider how your language and your support might be perpetuating unhealthy body image and eating in those that you support and serve. And please check out Rock Recovery as they have a ton of resources for your church and for individuals. Eating disorders and body image issues are so common not really talked about, especially not in church. So please share this episode with a friend so we can grow awareness in our faith communities. And of course, if you want to be reminded when an episode goes live, make sure you follow. Thanks for connecting. Take care.